Well, good morning, VRVC. It's great to see you here in person, you who are online joining us as we start this new series. And to give a little bit of a, an introduction to it, I want to tell you about one of my favorite words, especially growing up in the South, and that's the word y'all. If you're not from these parts, y'all is the plural of you. And, uh, and so y'all is what you would say, let's say your neighbor just moves here from, from uh, uh, New Jersey. And so you might ask them, where y'all from? Uh, or you might say, y'all like all that snow and stuff up there? Uh, or you might say, y'all mind if I park my boat trailer in your side yard? You know, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's the word y'all. It's addressed to the whole, the whole family. Now, it may surprise you, but I wish my Bible used the word y'all. Uh, and, and here's why. It's not just because I'm a Southerner. It, 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 it's because sometimes when the Bible uses the word you, it means you individually. Uh, in Spanish, tú, you know. Uh, but, but, but sometimes it, it means you plural, ustedes, right? Uh, it, it means, it means y'all, and, and it, it gets confusing to know whether we're being spoken to as an individual or being spoken to as a group. And so when I read, you know, Philippians 2.5, and it says your attitude should be that as, the same as that of the Lord Jesus, well, well, that's not just Larry individually, that's the church, that's all of us, our roots sunk down together. And so why why all this talk about y'all and fun with Bible translations? Well, uh, I think it, we are in a season as a church where we are focused on praying about growing deeper. Uh, you've, you've likely heard us talk about this. That one of the things the, the pandemic revealed, uh, at least by my estimation, is that the North American church is not nearly as deep as she thought she was. And so we've been focused on growing deeper, but, but not just growing deeper as individuals. We want to grow deeper together. And, uh, and so this series that we're introducing today is a way of doing that. We're going to focus on some of the one another's of Scripture. And today we're going to begin with the granddaddy of all the one another's, and that is to love one another. And so let me just ask, are you all ready for this? Good, good. Okay, here we go. Here we go. So uh, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, John 15, just to set the stage for our reading. Um, this reading, these words of Jesus are spoken on the night that he is betrayed. It's on Monday, Thursday night. And over the next, I don't know, 15 hours or so, Jesus will be betrayed by Judas. He'll be uh, tried by religious authorities. He'll be uh, sentenced to death by the Roman governor. He'll be led out to a hill called Golgotha, and there he will be crucified. And so the words that we read, if you have a red letter edition, the words in red that run from chapter 14 to chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, these words drip with urgency. So with that in mind, John 15, beginning in verse 12, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one in this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. 
Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. May God bless the reading of his word. If you heard these six verses for the first time and I asked you to pick out the theme, you wouldn't need to be a Rhodes Scholar to figure it out. Verse 12 says love each other, the first verse. The final verse, verse 17, says love each other. What is the primary teaching of this passage? Well, let's just take a wild guess and say it is to love each other. That that theme is announced, as I mentioned in, in the very first verse, verse 12 of our passage. My command, Jesus says, is this. Love each other as I have loved you. You could say that's the essential mission of each of us as individuals and and of all of us. What does it mean to, to follow Jesus? It means to live a life of love. Jesus says if you had to boil it down, love. Love God, love one another. This love that starts within the walls of the church, floods out into the streets, and and floods the whole world. That's our mission. Now, I don't want to insult anybody, but I'm going to guess most of you knew that before you walked in here today. I doubt anybody is texting their friend and saying, you would not believe what my pastor just said. He said Jesus wants us to love each other. So our big problem is likely not one of knowledge. Our big problem is, is probably more one of motivation, or you might say one of strength. Our challenge is finding the motivation and strength and resources to love one another. And so that's what this sermon is going to be about. It's not the knowledge necessarily that we're supposed to love each other. We know that. It's finding the motivation and strength to do that. You know, I've I've shared with you before that I know next to nothing about automobiles, and this has been a very inconvenient reality for for me for much of my life. And I remember um, um, years ago, I drove this uh, pumpkin-colored Datsun B210. I actually have a photo of it. Um, Jolita's window is rolled down because the air conditioning went out the week before we got married. And I've always wondered, you know, did she just marry me for my car? <laughs> well, anyway, um, that old Datsun did okay, did great going downhill, it did okay on flat surfaces, but it often would struggle uh, going uphill. And I remember I took it to a mechanic one time, and this was one of those rare occasions where he had a, a, a fairly simple fix. He told me that there was something called a fuel filter and the fuel filter was getting clogged. And uh, it was, as I remember it, it was this little part, and I don't know which end, but the fuel would come in one end, and it would go out the other, and uh, if there was uh, cloggage, I think is the technical automotive term, if there was cloggage in here, uh, that was a big problem. Now, I wonder, friends, I wonder, for you and I who are following Jesus, if we don't frequently run into a similar problem. In other words, the problem is not that the gas tank is empty. The problem is that the the gas is clogged and it's not getting to the engine. 
You know, Paul writes in, in, in Romans chapter five, this wonderful promise, he says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Whose love? Not my love, God's love through the ministry of the Holy Spirit is poured out into my heart. God's love in its fullness is available to me through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But so often in my life, the fuel filter is clogged. And so what I wanna talk about today is, is cleaning out the filter. It's dealing with the, the blockage. Um, and I want us to talk about how Christ's love can, can, there can be this like fresh flow of his love into our lives. I, I'm praying that this sermon is a fuel injection sermon uh, for you and me. So what helps us clog out that filter? What helps us deal with the blockage? The first thing I, I wanna talk about from this passage is that I think one of the things Jesus wants us to know is that we need to rediscover the source of love in our lives. We need to rediscover the source. We looked at verse 12 a moment ago, but I wanna point us to that source again uh, as we put verse 12 on the screen. It says, my command is this, love each other, but then look at this last part, as I have loved you. Not here at least, it's not love each other and then a period, it's love each other as I have loved you. Now, I'm gonna guess there are several ways to read that verse, to interpret that verse. Um, and I think there are some wrong ways to interpret that verse. And I wanna talk about a wrong way, I think, that we commonly read this verse. We commonly read this verse as if Jesus is shaming us by comparing his love to our love. We read this verse sometimes as if Jesus has kind of his hands on his hips. And he says, now I left heaven for earth. I was born in a barn. I never had a home my whole life. I spent my whole life teaching, serving others. Larry, I died on a cross. What have you done lately? Shame. Shame, I mean, conviction of sin is biblical. Shame is a very flawed motivational tool. But what if there's another way to read this verse? What if, what if the, a, a different way of reading this verse is to love each other as I have loved you? In other words, to love each other with the love that I am sharing with you. I feel like I'm on pretty good authority here because the great Saint Augustine teaches this. He says that before Jesus asks us to love one another, he pours his love into us. What if his love comes first? What if his love is the source of my love for you and your love for me? I think if that's true, then that changes also the way we read verse 13. Because verse 13 says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And yes, Jesus calls us to do that, but Jesus is the one who preeminently does that for us. His love is the greatest love. His love is the purest love. And that's the love he makes available to us. Jesus gives his life for us on the cross. The continuing impact of that love and that forgiveness each day cleanses us, strengthens us, reorients us, motivates us to love one another. Now, here's why I think this is so important. It's because without that love, without that source of fuel that the Spirit pours into us, 
we're going to run out of our own flawed, weak human love very quickly. Our like 23 octane love that we produce on our own. It's just, it, we're gonna, it's, it's not good fuel and we're gonna run out of it. In fact, I often hear people speak when they're in challenging relationships, I often hear them speak in the language of limit. Uh, that, that love is about to run out or that love has run out. I, I hear people say, you know, I can't even with you, which I think kind of means uh, I'm, 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 I, my love is, is, is on empty. Or they say, you're standing on my last nerve. You ever said that or heard that? It's like I had a lot of nerves that you could stand on, but, but now I've reached the limit because it's, it's the last nerve and that's the one you're standing on. Sometimes people even say, sadly, I'm done. No, no more love. For you. Now it's true, we are frail, we are sinful, we are people of limits. But I think what Jesus is asking us is not to kind of grit our teeth and to try to manufacture more love. I think what he's asking us to do is to find the true source, the love that he provides. So what does that look like? I think it when when we are uh, when we're done, you know, when our love runs out, I, I think we just acknowledge that. We pray that honestly. We say, Lord, as you well know, I don't have it in me right now. I know that the people that you've surrounded me with, they need love from me, and I am on empty. And so would you forgive my impatience? Would you forgive my frustration? Uh, would, would you forgive these, this bitterness, these grudges that I'm holding as I freely confess them to you Would you cleanse me, and would you, through your spirit, pour in love through me? Find the source of love. I think there's a second thing that kind of helps unclog the the fuel filter, so to speak. Um, And that is to join the adventure of love. Sometimes we're not motivated to love because we don't realize that love is actually an adventurous life. Maybe some of you, when you think of adventure, you think of mountain climbing or, or, you know, seeing the leaves turn in New England or whatever. Maybe that sounds like adventure to you, and you're not used to thinking of love as an adventure. But I want us to look at what Jesus says in the middle of our passage. Verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. You are my friends. Now, in the Old Testament, it was very rare for anybody to be called a friend of God. It was, it was one of the highest honors, I would think. And Abraham got it. He was called God's friend. Moses, we are told, would speak to God face to face as a friend speaks to a friend. But but they were the rare exceptions. But Jesus says to each one of us who have reached out to him in faith, Jesus says to us who have pledged our lives to follow and obey his commands, Jesus says to us, you are my friends. I'm not Abraham, I'm not Moses, doesn't matter, Jesus says. You're my friend. And I get to live out this friendship by sharing in the adventure of loving others as Jesus has called me to. And so I wonder if that can help us hear this command to love one another a little differently. Yes, it's true, Jesus is our commanding officer. He commands us to love. But what if that command is not like, you know, go clean your room. Go love each other. All right. right. (laughs) What if it's more of an adventure that he's inviting us into? 
I think that's where verse 15 comes in. John 15, 15, easy to remember. Because Jesus says something astounding there. Makes us scratch our head at first, in fact. What does Jesus say in verse 15? He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. It's stunning, isn't it? Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. What? His whole life has been about serving. His mission statement, Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus speaks these, these words, you know, it's, the, the, the towel is still wet from when he washed and dried his disciples' feet. And, and now he comes along and says, I no longer call you servants? Is Jesus down on serving? Of course not. Of course not. I think Jesus is showing us what you might call serving 2.0. Jesus is showing us the adventure of serving others by loving one another. And it's what I really I've already hinted at. Uh, and it's, it's living out a life of friendship with Jesus. Yes, the disciples will continue to serve uh, as Jesus continues to serve. But a servant, Jesus says, a mere servant, we might say, is clueless about the mission that we're called to. A true servant, Jesus says, uh, a, a mere servant, you might say, doesn't know what the master is up to. But Jesus has higher ambitions for us. You know, in John 8, 35, Jesus says, you know, you're not slaves, you're sons and daughters. I, I want to kind of play out this idea. Maybe this will actually be eerily familiar to some of you in your, in your work history. But imagine you go to work for a company uh, the pay's good, it pays the rent, uh, but, but basically you are treated like a grunt. I mean, you're given a list of things to do, and that's what you're supposed to do. And if you ever try to ask a question, um, you're just told no. And if you said, hey, what if we did this a little differently? Hey, stop asking questions, that's not your job. You don't get it. You're not smart enough to know how this company runs. You, you, that's not your role. You don't get to decide that kind of stuff. You are a grunt. You are a servant. You do your job, and you let the rest of us worry about more important things. Now, how motivating is that? It's not. It's demotivating, isn't it? But what if Jesus is saying to us, you're not a grunt. <laughs> you're my friend. And as my friend, by the way, which is nothing we earned, it's an act of sheer grace on the part of Jesus. As my friend, Jesus says, as you serve alongside me, as you work alongside me, I'm going to teach you the family business. I'm going to take all these things my father has shared with me, and I'm going to make them known to you. What if, in this adventure of loving one another, what if Jesus is not calling us to be a grunt what if he's calling us to be an owner? What if he's calling us to be an heir? <laughs> Sharing in the, in, in the proceeds of the family business. Sharing in the secrets of the family business. What if you and I have a chance to watch the, 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 the business grow and develop? What if you and I have a chance to watch the kingdom of God at work? What if we get to see what Jesus does and why he does it and the impact that it makes on us? It would feel a lot more like an adventure, wouldn't it? And maybe it would change our motivation. Maybe we wouldn't look at loving one another as like going to clean our room. 
maybe we would look at it as joining Jesus in the adventure of love. You know, I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older or if it's because I'm a very slow learner, but one of the things that I've noticed over the last few years of my life is that I often find myself, whether I'm reading scripture or whether I'm experiencing something in daily life that connects to scripture, but I often find myself saying to Jesus, oh, so that's what you meant. Oh, so that's what that teaching was about. Ah, that's why endurance is so important. That's why perseverance is so important. You really can have love in, in, for, for people when, when your limits are reached. You, you can actually find an odd sort of joy in the midst of difficult trial. Oh, that's what you were talking about. The adventure of love, Jesus sharing with us the secrets of his kingdom. I wonder if there's sometimes where you almost feel like Jesus is winking at you when you read scripture or when you encounter a situation in your life and his word comes to mind because he's sharing with you the adventure coming to life. You know, I don't think any one of us wants to live a boring 2023. What if God is calling us this year to a greater adventure of loving each other? Now, I want to build on that in this third point. I want to move from present adventure to future impact. Because I think part of what unclogs the filter for us is when, we, is when we are lifted out of the trap, kind of being trapped in the present moment, and when we think about the long-term implications of love. And so this final point is about praying about the legacy of love. One of the things that clogs up the filter, one of the things that prevents us from loving each other is when we get trapped in the day's activities and, and we take our eyes off the long-term we get trapped in, in, in whatever's happening today, the distractions of the day. I heard somebody talk about this recently. They say, you know, we, we, we have become news junkies, you know, not good news junkies, but news junkies. And he said, we get so caught up in the outrage of the day, we can't even remember what we were outraged about six weeks ago. We've moved on. We've had dozens of outrages since we were outraged six weeks ago. And, 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 and we just get trapped in the distraction of the day. What Jesus does in John 15 is he lifts our horizon. He, he moves from the present moment and he helps us think about eternal impact. I think verse 16 is such a beautiful verse. In fact, I would say to you, I, I think, in, and maybe it's just because I've been planning to preach on this for a while, but I've found verse 16 coming up in my thoughts and sometimes even in my daily conversation more than any other verse over the last month. And so I wanted, I'm just excited to share it with you. Verse 16 says, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, there's a kind of adventure talk, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, and then look at this part, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Through your prayer and through your trust and through your obedience, you get to leave a legacy of fruit. Fruit that will last. Jesus says, that's why I chose you. 
Jesus says, that's why I appointed you. You know, it wouldn't have been a shock to the original disciples that Jesus chose them. You know, Peter and Andrew could tell you where they were uh, fishing or James and John right where they were on the beach when Jesus said, come and follow me. Matthew could tell you where he was sitting uh, at the tax collector table when Jesus said, follow me. But sometimes I think you and I fail to realize that before we ever chose Jesus, before we ever said Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior in a baptistry, Jesus chose us. Isaiah 43 verse 1 says, but now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Church, we are created, formed, redeemed, summoned by Jesus. He chose us. I wonder, you know, if for some of us the whole idea of being chosen and not being chosen it fills us with anxiety or sadness. We can remember when those two captains on the playground were picking sides and we were either chose last or we were the 11th man and didn't get chosen at all. We remember not being chosen for homecoming court or student council. We remember not being chosen for a job we really wanted and thought we were so qualified for. We remember a person not choosing to stay with us, a person that we loved, a person choosing to be with another and not with us. For so many of us, the whole idea of choosing uh, is, is, is one of sadness. But here, it's pure joy, isn't it? Jesus has chosen us. You didn't choose me. I chose you before you ever chose me, Jesus is saying. And I've chosen you for an adventure. And the adventure is love. The adventure is bearing fruit. The fruit of lasting love. Now, I would venture to say, to speak impersonally, that when it comes to fruit, I, I enjoy almost all kinds of fruit, um, except for papaya. Oh, no papaya. But, uh, but, but almost any other kind of fruit, I, I really enjoy. In fact, in those rare seasons when I'm dieting, um, fruit feels like dessert. You know, when you can't have cake, it, it, it feels like dessert. But one of the things that I've noticed is that fruit, for all of its benefits uh, and blessings, has, generally speaking, a very short shelf life. Have you noticed this? Um, the banana that's green on Monday is maybe ripe yellow on Wednesday, and then by Sunday it is brown and, uh, and not very appetizing. But love lasts. Love is fruit that lasts. Here's a tough question. What if, what if what you and I spend so much of our time obsessing over on Monday, by Friday, is like brown bananas. What if what we invested so much time, energy, and attention in on Monday didn't, its shelf life didn't even make it to the end of the week? And what if every week is like that? Ends up brown bananas. Rotten grapes or dried up grapes rather than vintage wine. But Jesus is calling us, has chosen us for an adventure. 
Jesus wants to pour into us through his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the spirit. And the fruit of the spirit has eternal impact. Love lasts, the joy and peace that you share with others, the patience and kindness and goodness that others experience from you, the faithfulness by which you keep your promises to one another, the gentleness with one another when the world can be so harsh and brutal and unforgiving, the self-control that you exercise that protects those around you rather than endangers those around you. What if that lasts way beyond the next Sunday? My plea for us, church, let's invest in the things that last. Let's don't spend our lives obsessing over things that somebody is going to cart off at an estate sale someday. Let's spend our time and thought and prayer in love. You know, one of the holy privileges that I have, I've talked to you about it so much, is that I have a chance so often as pastor to talk to people about real impact, about real legacy, about vintage wine, not rotting grapes. And one of those occasions for me is a funeral. And even though preparing for a funeral, the grief is so fresh, I get a chance to talk with families about things that persist. And one of the questions that I love to ask most of the time is about the legacy the loved one leaves behind. Now, if I sense early on in the meeting this person was a rogue, uh, I don't ask about legacy. I don't want to know, actually. Uh, but if they were a true follower of Jesus, I, I love to hear responses. Sometimes I even hear grandchildren talk about how their lives have been changed by the legacy of their grandparent. In other words, this grandparent has now passed away, but in some ways that legacy is continuing to live on. You and I have a chance this week to love others in such a way that potentially that love this week will still be around after we're gone it will still be continuing to impact others. That's why in this season, we're so committed to rediscovering one another's at VRBC. We are committed to loving one another. You know, um, St. Jerome lived in the 300s. He's most well known for translating the Bible into Latin. Uh, But he told a story, uh, could be a legend, could be true about the Apostle John, that after the Apostle John was exiled on Patmos and wrote Revelation, that he spent his last days in the city of Ephesus. And this tradition that Jerome shares that when the Apostle John was too old to walk, when he was too old to preach, he used to ask his disciples to carry him into church, and they'd kind of carry him in on a, on a, on a pallet or a bed. And the story goes that St. John who would, would say, this aged apostle who wrote John uh, 15, this aged apostle would say one thing. They'd carry him in, and he would say, little children love one another. Always the same thing. They'd carry him in, he'd have a one-sentence sermon, little children love one another. 
And you know, sometimes in church you do the same thing over and over again and people get annoyed. Uh, I don't know if you know that or not, but, uh, but, but some people got kind of bugged about it and they were like, why does he always say the same thing? Why can't he say something new? And they actually asked him about it. Why, why always the same thing? And John says, because it's the Lord's commandment and because if that's all you do, it's sufficient. I'd like to think that one day, if you carry me in on a mattress, and I had to pick a one-sentence sermon, I would just steal from John. I would steal it straight from Jesus. And I'd say, little children, love one another. Little children, let Christ's love flow through you. Little children, leave an eternal legacy of love. Let's pray. Lord, we are people of limits and we are frail and we are sinful. And Lord, you know everything about us and you know all at times, or just in the last seven days, that what has flowed through us has not been love. It's been indifference or impatience. It's been day trading distraction. Um, it's been being consumed with, with brown bananas. And so, Lord, we confess. We, we confess the sin before the cross, <laughs> uh, before the one who laid down his life for us, and we ask that you would cleanse us and forgive us. We thank you, Lord, that the love of our Heavenly Father is poured through you to us. But Lord, we really do want to live as your friends. We want to live this life of, of adventure. And so we would ask, as the Scripture promises in Romans 5, that your Holy Spirit, in this moment, would pour your love into us that we might share lasting love with others. Only you can do that, but we pray for that. We pray in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.